High in the air, Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Bags and Brisby Podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. Andy, how do we do this? I forgot. Do Well, hey. <laughs> do, I, do we just talk? Uh, my name's Andy, first of all. It's nice to meet you. Uh, was it Grant? Is that it? First time, long time. First time, long time. No, how are you doing? How are things? How was your off season? How was your lockout? Oh, lockout was great. It was 99 days of bliss. I, You know, somebody uh, said to me on the field today at Scottsdale Stadium, so I'll bet you were really busy in the off season. And I was like, well, no, actually, I'm... Oh, wait, that was sarcasm. Yes. Okay. No, I, I was not busy. Uh, you weren't busy. None of us were busy. Uh, the sport was locked down for 99 days. But uh, here I am back in Scottsdale, and I got to watch some baseball players do baseball things today. And we got a whole lot of catching up to do from since our last podcast. Yeah, we sure do. We sure do. Uh, I will be honest. There was a point in the offseason where it was kind of nice to know that there was absolutely no chance of a transaction. Oh, yes. Like just, you know, just for the holidays and Thanksgiving and, and, and the holidays, it was great to be like, they're, they're not going to do anything. I know this for a fact. It's like in their rules. And then at February 1st is when I snapped. It's like, oh, okay, I need something to write about that is not like, here's what the Giants could do. I mean, after a while, that just numbs the brain. Yeah, you were doing your pre- free agent profiles um, with the Giants sort of slant on all of them. And I mean, if the lockout had kept going, you would have made it to Ari Adrianza. I mean, you would have made it. Who knows how far you would have made it? <laughs> yeah, it would have gotten a little weird. It would have been like, oh, maybe the Giants should sign Freddie Freeman and, you know, play him at second. Like, who says it couldn't work? I don't know. I still might write that, actually. That's a pretty good <laughs> Let me write that down. That's brilliant. Um, but no, it has been a long offseason. Uh, and now that it's over and there have been transactions, did you think that it was going to be wilder as far as like the the pace of the announcements and the signings and the trades? Do you think was this about what you were expecting or did you expect a, a veritable flood of transaction information? Well, I guess it's a little context dependent on when the lockout was going to end. Right. At what point mm-hmm. was that going to happen? And you know, my thought all along was that it, they were going to go until the very last moment and probably just a little bit beyond that. I even thought that uh, it was probably more likely that they would end up playing 154 games uh, than not. So um, the fact that they were able to kind of pull uh, a shortened season back from the brink at the very last instant, I mean, I, honestly, I thought that was fairly predictable. Um but, you know, uh, in terms of what that does to the calendar and how fast uh, players are going to sign, I'm a little surprised that uh, that trades are being made as quickly as, as they are, especially when Farhan Zaidi told us just after the lockout ended, he said, I'd be really surprised if there's a lot of trades. It just takes a lot of dialogue to make those happen. And then boom, Matt Olson and boom, all of the Reds. And in fact, I'm looking forward <laughs> to when the Reds play the A's on Saturday in Goodyear, whose cardboard cutouts are going to be better. Um, 
But uh, <laughs> because there, neither team has any players left. Um, but yeah, tra- <laughs> trades are happening. And, and it, maybe the Giants can engineer a trade, but it seems like they were looking more toward free agents uh, targets being a little bit easier to, to finish up. And they obviously got a big one with Carlos uh, Rodon. Um, and obviously they probably shouldn't be done. I guarantee they're, they're not done. So, um, you know, we still have a lot of activity out there that hasn't happened yet. Freddie Freeman, Carlos Correa, Seiya Suzuki, uh, Nick Castellanos, uh, Trevor Story, uh, Chris Bryant. You know, it's, they, they're the ones that are sort of top of mind, but there's a lot of guys be- below them too. Just a ton of hitters. But Carlos Rodon, he was on the top of my list when I ranked my free agents right when the lockout ended and then the Giants signed him quickly after. But even as I was writing about, oh, here's some trades they could make. Here's Sonny Gray or, you know, what about Chris Bassett? Like all of those pitchers made sense in a vacuum. But when you looked out there and you saw that there was still the fifth place American League Cy Young getter out there in free agency, that just made way more sense to actually just go get that guy for money. He wouldn't even want a long-term contract. If you get lucky, he might just opt out and be a one-year deal. That seemed like the perfect fit for the Giants all along, even with the risk that he brings. I mean, yeah, I I know that you were banging the the Carlos Rodon drum pretty early. And um, I mean, I'll be honest, I was sort of, you know, shopping down the aisles of Zach Grinke Lane and, and uh, you know, Yusei Kikuchi Drive. And so, you know, I, I didn't look at Rodon as, as the perfect fit just because he ended the year with so many questions. You know, obviously was very, very fatigued. They had to kind of shut him down twice. And, you know, he'd had shoulder surgery. He's had Tommy John surgery, which, you know, is a little more predictive to come back from these days. But just such a small uh, flash of really dominance uh, in the larger kind of up and down sort of the bobbing and weaving of his career, so to speak. So I thought, gosh, that, that doesn't sound like someone you want to bank on. But then the more I read what you wrote and the more I you know, studied my history as it pertains to Farhan Zaidi, the more it does make sense because basically they're going to give Carlos Rodon, if he doesn't opt out, he's going to get 22 million times two. And then you look at Kevin Gossman, he got 22 million times five. And clearly uh, the long-term contract, the, the less and less predictive nature of that fourth or fifth year for a starting pitcher is something the Giants do not like. So Rodon fit from that perspective. And, you know, it's a good infrastructure for him, too, because you don't need the guy to throw 200 innings. Uh, You used to spend your money on starting pitchers who could go 200 innings. That's why the Giants spent a quarter of a billion dollars on Jeff Samarja and Johnny Cueto in one offseason for the bulk innings. And that's not what the sport values anymore. That's certainly not what the Giants value anymore. They're the first team in history to have six relievers who threw 50 innings with a sub-3 ERA. So they'll take five innings of strike out dominance from Carlos Rodon and, and be happy with that. So it's a really good fit for what you know he can do and what value he can provide. And it's a good fit contractually for what you know the Giants prefer to do. So yeah, I, I, I came around a lot later than you did, but uh, the more you examine it, the more he seems like a, a perfect fit. And also, he's he's built like a truck, man. This dude is. <laughs> I mean, it it's. I, I I was looking at his thighs, thinking his thighs are as wide as Tim Lincecum's waist. <laughs> oh, that is. See, that's the little detail that being uh, in the cl- on the ground. That's what that gets you. That is the details that see. I didn't know that from home. I I don't have the thigh scale, uh, which is important for a pitcher. Those things you don't supply the power. But with Rodon, like his ability 
to just be dominant for a few innings like that is what the Giants are looking for. But I, I think that you made an excellent point and you phrase it in a way that I don't remember seeing when it comes to a contract like this. It's yes, uh, Rodon is uh, he's kind of a, a wild card for next year. He's someone that has a high variance. But he's still likelier to be valuable in 2022 than Kevin Gossman is in 2026. And when you put it like that, it's like, wow, like mind blown. That is some galaxy brain stuff. And it's absolutely correct. The Giants don't want that long term risk. And so you you can almost err on the side of paying too much attention to Rodon's risk in two. Uh, 2022. But man, any pitcher that has this kind of talent, he's going to give you some risk, whether it's now or later. Yeah. And and I think that sort of what you go, goes hand in hand with that and where I think the Giants really uh, showed me a lot of things about um, how to put together a winning team that I didn't really appreciate before is when we've talked about it, it's you go out and you sign a superstar and you raise your ceiling or you can get better uh, and, and get more wins uh, by raising your floor and just making sure you don't give plate appearances to people who are below league average and don't give innings to pitchers who are below league, league average. Well, guess what? When you sign Barry Zito to a six-year, $120 million contract, uh, you're going to get some innings that are not league average. You know, when you get stuck with a declining player, um, you know, and like the, the Padres are trying to get rid of Eric Hosmer right now. Uh, you can go down the line of, of guys who sign long-term contracts. And, and players will tell you, okay, yeah, you, you, you sign the Robinson Canoes to the big contracts and they become basically wasted space at the end, but you're paying for their value up front. Well, that isn't so great, though, when you're throwing you know, one bad investment after another and you're giving plate appearances and innings or you're beholden to give those plate appearances and innings to somebody who's just frankly not league average anymore. And, uh, and, and that's, that's the conundrum you put yourself in when you sign you know, starting pitchers to five-year contracts. And I think that's a big part of what the Giants want to avoid, too. That's a great point. And it also, like... It doesn't just have to be the the abject mistakes, the guys you totally whiff on. Because if you think about a guy like Evan Longoria, who the Giants have, he's under contract, he's making a decent amount of money, that they're excited to have him on the roster next year. But without him and with that payroll freed up, I think they could get very creative uh, with that spot. They would have more uh, options with all the different infielders who are on the free agent market. I'm not saying that they would prefer it. I'm just saying that that might be a situation where the free agent, or in this case, the Giants getting a, a veteran in a trade, like him blocking a spot or just having a, a, his nameplate on that spot, it doesn't necessarily help you in the offseason. That's when he's kind of good. Like he was good last year. So it doesn't just have to be the Barry Zitos. It can be Barry Zito in the year that he was, you know, kind of good. Yeah. And, you know, it's not to say that every player at the end of a contract is going to be terrible. I think we've seen, you know, Brandon Crawford was in the last year of his contract last year and he was pretty <laughs> not terrible. Um, so, you know, and we've seen uh, older players. The Giants have definitely given consideration to maybe um, the undervalued nature of the older player. A guy like Darren Ruff, you can plug in, you use them in a way that doesn't wear them down. You make sure that they have ideal matchups and you could mash them together with Lamont Wade Jr. and, and, uh, and Brandon Bellop and you could end up with 45 homers out of the first base position. You know, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's not to say that old players are what the Giants are trying to avoid. In fact, they're, they're embracing them. Um, but, but you're right. It's, it's, if you have someone that you're kind of beholden to playing, uh, it can jam up a, a position or keep you from sort of entertaining different things. By the way, is this finally the year someone will listen to me and stroke their chin and say, hmm, Evan Longoria at second base. I wonder what that would look like. 
You know what? I've always been intrigued by that. The second you floated that, I mean, especially when uh, you have Tommy LaStella there as uh, the de- default second baseman as of right now, and I guess Tyra Estrada. Um, but LaStella and I think Longoria would be pretty comparable defensively at second. I know there's a lot of research that says when you move someone, even if they're like a superlative defender at shortstop, they still struggle a little bit with the transition to second or, you know, down the defensive spectrum. But Longoria, like he's played quite a little bit over there. He knows the angle because of all the shifts. I think that that could work, you know, especially when you pair him with a guy like Listella. I don't know. Maybe that's a little bit uh, too out there. Yeah, I would actually go one step further. I, I think Longoria would be a, a an above average defensive second baseman. At worst, he'd be Jeff Kent. Uh, right. And I think he could be quite a bit better than that. He's got a lot of arm to make a lot of plays from there, too. And he's I, I guarantee you he'd be better defensively than Tommy LaStella, hands down, 100% guarantee, even a healthy Tommy LaStella. Uh, I mean, I think we saw uh, even when he wasn't as compromised, you know, Tommy LaStella, is a, he's, he's there for his bat. And, and I think if they make no other moves, if the Giants make no other additions, Tommy LaStella is your left-handed DH. I mean, that he's, he's really the one guy uh, from the left side that they could put there. And, and Gabe Kapler's even said that it would be a big-time consideration. And he's he may not be ready to start the season. He's still going to be ramping up slowly. He had uh, surgery. He told us it wasn't to the Achilles tendon. There was never a chance it was going to rupture. It was to inflammation in the sheath around the tendon. So that got fixed. And I guess it did what it was supposed to do. So... Uh, you know, 3 a.m. Tommy is, is ready to go out and whack some baseballs and and we'll see if he does it uh, while also having a glove to use. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I, I do think the Giants are going to make another move for a left handed bat uh, who can help him at the DH spot, whether that's Jock Peterson, who makes a lot of sense, uh, whether you like the pearls or not. Uh, Kyle Schwarber, although he's going to have a much more robust market. Uh, and, you know, I mean, the other day, Farhan Zaidi phrased it as, we're still open to adding another bat. And it's like, buddy, you're, you're open. <laughs> you better get another bat. I mean, they, you lost Chris Bryant and Buster Posey. You, I, I think you need another right-handed hitter as much as you you like Darren Ruff, Wilmer Flores, Evan um, Longoria, Austin Slater at all. Uh, and, you know, we know the names who are still out there. And, and one name that I think has really been intriguing is Seiya Suzuki. And, and he's got a lot of teams on him. But so, yeah, we don't know what the final accounting is going to be. We don't know what the final uh, transactions are going to be. But right now, I think Tommy Lestella is your left-handed DH. Yeah, that is uh, just a little bit sobering. And, you know, you don't want to read too much into comments like that. You know, like, you know, maybe we need to add another bat because you can't be a GM or a president of baseball operations and say, we are desperate for another bat. We will go. We will for. <laughs> Freak out. You have all the leverage agents. Just please give us a call. We're panicking here. I mean, obviously, they can't say that. And we all know that. You know that. Everyone listening knows that. Uh, But you're right. They do need to get one. And it's funny to think how many bats are available, how many different ways they could go. They could go with that uh, power left-handed DH profile of Schwarber. They could go uh, more modest in that same profile with Jock Peterson. They can go you know, completely bananas with someone like Trevor Story and, and figure out how to slot him into the defense later. Uh, and then they could have Seiya Suzuki, who is that younger, kind of in his prime, more of a uh, superstar in the making, perhaps, in a marketing ploy. Um, like, all of that makes sense. You can make arguments for all of this. All of it makes sense. And I just have no idea which direction the Giants are going to go. Call us now. Operators are standing by. (laughs) We want to hear from you. We need a bat. Um, Yeah, you know, I think it's going to be what I would pay attention to is, um, you know, obviously strikeout to walk ratio. That's what they fetishize for pitchers. That's what they care about for hitters. 
And then the other one is look at splits. You know, if someone's got a reverse split, it's going to be a little tough for them to fit on this team. I think they want, you know, Kyle Schwarber absolutely destroyed right-handed pitching last year. That's why he's such a great fit. But that's also why everybody wants him. Um, but, you know, I, I think it'll be someone who, who does have a pretty good split so you can – um, you know, you can you can get the best matchups with them and, and use them in concert with the other pieces that you have. So, um, but yeah, there's there's still a lot of players out there that are interesting that could be fits, and and some of them you know may not uh, be big headlines too. So, um, and and there may be some trade targets. I mean, we know that the, the A's are going to be trading more players, and we know that uh, the Reds do the Reds have any more players? Have we checked? No, they're all out. Oh, I'm sorry, Mike Mustakas, who maybe can platoon with Evan Lagoria at second base. What well, a new truck's coming at. <laughs> New ship is coming in Wednesday. You can put one on layaway, maybe. Oh, um, man. Yeah. Now, give, uh, bring me uh, Luis Castillo for uh, uh, Casey McGee signed jersey. Oh, ooh, yikes. Yeah, there you go. One time uh, traded for Casey McGee. That's a deep cut for Giants fans who don't remember that. Oh, uh, Luis Castillo, once a Giants farmhand. Uh, but yeah, it, it's I, I'm really interested to see how they put the rest of this team together, too, because I'm looking around the clubhouse and yay, yay, yay. I get to be back in the clubhouse for the first time yeah. in two years. Um, I'm looking around the clubhouse and I'm thinking, okay, Buster's gone, right? There's Joey Bart. Okay, um, Chris Bryant's not here anymore. Uh, Donovan Solano and oh, uh, Kevin Gossman's gone. That, that's Carlos Rodon. He's, he's much thicker. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that's it. Everybody else is back. Hey, how are you? How was your winter? Hey, nice to see you. And and, and it was almost no t- turnover. They're running this whole thing back again. But we know that they still have another move or two to make. And and I expect that uh, that they're still looking to make them. Yeah, it is uh, going to be interesting to see what they do. Because as of right now, look, I know that projected standings and, and uh, projections in general for individual players, that's going to be a very, very inexact science. I think the Giants uh, outbeat uh, their projections last season by about 70 or 80 games give or take like it's just <laughs> it's just so rough uh, but at the same time you look at baseball prospectus and, uh, and fan graphs and what they have for projections and right now they're not just saying the Giants are going to be around 500 they're predicting things like baseball prospectus says the Giants will have the worst offense in the National League worse than the Pirates uh, worse than anyone else and I'm not saying that that is gospel I think there's a lot of wiggle room for that and I think if our anxiety would would uh, quibble with that in, in probably major ways. At the same time, you look at the lineup and you you start thinking, okay, there's a lot that has to go right. Where you have Brandon Crawford, 35 years old, coming back off of a you know a monster season. You have Lamont Wade. Can he do it again? Darren Ruff. He's getting older. And you go down the list. I think the offense, you know, it's it should be a little bit more of a concern that maybe people are giving it credit for. Yeah, and they're talking up Tyro Estrada a lot. They think he looks mm. great this spring. Uh, he's out of options. Mauricio Dubon is out of options. Um, you know, they 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 do like some of their internal candidates, but they also didn't like Tyro Estrada enough to put him on their uh, NLDS roster, which I I think was a big. I still can't understand that yeah. uh, last year, but yeah. So they do like some of their internal candidates as well, and you know we know that more talent is coming from the minor league system. I spent a week. At Papago Park, beautiful complex, man. They they got everything they wanted on their wish list there, um, and, uh, uh, and and yeah. So so that that talent is coming, but I think we're going to see it coming on the pitching side first, uh, with the exception of maybe Elliot Ramos, uh, you know, who who's on the forty man. So uh, it'll be easier to call him up at some point this year if if he warrants a look. Um, and, and we know, I guess, you could count Joey Bart as being you know a, a, an input from the minor leagues. 
because uh, I, I don't I don't think really count him as having a major league debut yet. No. He's he's, play, he's played one game in front of. He started one major league game where there are fans in the stands. So wow. nothing's been normal for him. Nothing's been regular. He and Buster Posey ended up overlapping for all of two major league games, not counting their wow. times in spring training together. So he's a rookie, you know, and, and he's an input from the farm system and, and and the Giants will have more of them. But, you know, I think that they're going to still have to make some more moves uh, before that pipeline really gets up and running. Now, let me ask you, when you look at the depth chart and you see all the, the players, like you said, they're running it back with a lot of familiar names and faces. But when it comes to center field, you have Steven Duggar, you have Austin Slater, you have uh, Mike Yastrzemski who can play there, you have Lamont Wade who can play there. Do they have any thoughts perhaps of someone who could uh, be out there in center field? Maybe not someone to supplant Duggar defensively, but as a way to lengthen that lineup because... I just don't know what you're going to get from Duggar. I just don't know what you're going to get from Slater. Uh, and as a platoon, I just don't know. Like that might work. It might not. So is there someone that they can get that maybe could slide Yastrzemski over there full time? Uh, would that be a priority? I think so. Yeah, it seems like it, it should be. I mean, you you don't have Alex Dickerson, who was part of that rotation last year. So, um, you know, that's where you could even find another left-handed bat. Um, but yeah, center field, you know, they they I think they've found ways that they can coach up a lack of or uh, players that, that have issues with range uh, because of how well they position these days. And uh, I, I really have been surprised just at the way center field has played the last two seasons at, at uh, Oracle uh, just by moving in the fences. I mean, we all knew that some more homers would slip out, but it didn't really stop to, to think about the fact that center field is a little bit easier. You know, you don't have as much wall you have to run back to. That means you can play a little more shallow. So, um, you know, it's, it's not as rigorous a center field uh, as it used to be. And that doesn't mean you can get away with having, uh, uh, you know, uh, RG Bunker out there, but, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, it's, 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 it's not quite as demanding. Uh, it doesn't quite uh, leave you as exposed if you have a player with sort of okay range out there as, as it used to. Uh, but, but yeah, getting, getting back to the projections and the offense, I, I really am fascinated by that too, because there's obviously a big blind spot in the projections that nobody saw with what the Giants were able to accomplish last year. Because it's not like everybody played over their heads. I mean, go ask Mike Yastrzemski. He didn't play over his head last year, and he was an MVP candidate the year before. So uh, is there something about their mixing and matching and able their ability to get offensive production in ways that are not super predictable that that they'll buck the, the projection systems again? Because if they do, it, it's... It's. I can almost imagine like the computers like smoke and and and, and sparks are flying. It'll, it'll be like the the plot of every third Star Trek episode where Captain Kirk gives the, the gives the robot a logic puzzle and, and melts its brain and then they can the, the ship is free to leave orbit. So um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think it's really fascinating. I would love to talk to some of the people who put Zips and some of those systems together to get their thoughts on just why the Giants have been so difficult for them to read. I will say that on a, a happier side, a happier note, uh, the rotation is as settled as I can remember it. Uh, and the bullpen, there just aren't a lot of questions with the bullpen this year. I mean, obviously there will be a spring uh, goes on and there's an injury here or disappointment there. But in general, like you, you look, the Giants should not have a problem sourcing a deep and varied bullpen. The rotation, the top five is strong. They added depth. 
with Carlos Martinez and Jacob Junis, and they have Kirby Castro is apparently pressing people in in camp. Uh, they have a pitching staff that makes sense, uh, doesn't seem to be controversial, and should give them optimism going forward. Yeah, Gabe Kapler said that Kirby Castro was called the tank, but he's lost <laughs> some weight. He looks he looks actually really really good. Uh, and and he told uh, he told Kirvin, I'm sorry, but after seeing Carlos Rodon, Rodon is from, from now on the tank on the team, <laughs> so you can be like the little tank, the tanklet, something like that. Um, but yeah, whether it's whether it's whether it's him or whether it's uh, uh, Jacob Junius who who has an option, by the way, that's a big thing uh, mm-hmm. to have two guys who you know can give you length, uh, who can step in and make a spot start. Um, you know, and, and you can send them back down. You can only send them up and down five times, uh, so it's not like they can go crazy. But um, you know, Sammy Long, another guy that uh, um, they, they believe will contribute in that in that uh, stead. And Tyler Beatty not in that position because he he's out of options. So this is a big spring for him, and and probably a big a big deal that teams are are apparently we don't have the official yet are going to carry uh, a little bit extra beyond the regular twenty six. Uh, players to start the season. So that extra spot or two may help Tyler Beatty get a little more time to to try to hang on to uh, a place in the Giants organization. Um, but yeah, I and, and again, I, I don't think they should necessarily feel like they're done. They could probably go out and get one more um, uh, pitcher. And, and you and I have both targeted the same guy. Danny Duffy makes so much sense because you get to a point where you just don't have enough space on your 40-man roster um, to carry another player uh, that you can't option. And there aren't that many players out there who are really, really good, who have a lot of upside that you can get on the open market that still have an option. Um, But you get a guy who's in rehab mode and maybe he is ready in June, uh, like Danny Duffy, and you got somebody in your back pocket. And so I think that would make a lot of sense for for the Giants. It's a way to to give them another level of depth, just not depth they can use right away, and and depth that they can carry without having to deal with the roster headache. Yeah, that is where like the injury becomes a feature and not a bug. And they did that last year, and it, it didn't quite work out the way they wanted to. But with John Brebbia, I think that was part of the idea getting him as like, well, he's not going to be ready for the start of the season. But if he's ready toward the end of the season or middle of the season, and, you know, he could be something. It didn't quite work out that way. Um, but I think there's something to that where it's almost like a deadline deal with money and it gives them some creativity and, and some uh, some space and some time. So I I just look at the, the roster and I see a pitching staff that makes sense top to bottom, uh, snout to tail, just like, yes, that guy should be there. Yes, I understand. If that doesn't work out, then they've got X, Y, Z uh, behind them. It's just looking at the lineup and that's more of a tricky thing. That is why that's going to be the focus for the remainder of the offseason, just because it's, well, if he's the player he was last year, that should be fine. If he's the player he was last, if he avoids age-related decline, if he stays healthy, there's just so many more questions like that on the offensive side, which it seems weird. It seems like I'm being unfair because this is the team that set like a freaking franchise record for home runs last year. They led the National League in OPS last year. And it feels like I'm being unfair to them by, by you know, diminishing their their chances. Well, and, and I think that it's also important to maybe keep front of mind the, the context of the NL West. You've got the Dodgers who are maybe going to go out and sign Freddie Freeman even before maybe we post this podcast. So, um, <laughs> you know, the Dodgers will go out and they'll fill needs that they don't even have. 
Uh, and, and the Padres are talking about getting everybody under the sun, although big news in the division with Fernando Tatis Jr. being out probably three Jeez. months with the fracture, fractured wrist, uh, which I, I don't know. Did, did, did we learn nothing from Madison Bumgarner people? Uh, if indeed he, he did it dirt biking, we don't know for sure. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, you're in a division where you know that the, you're, you're, you've got two motivated teams that are already really talented and are going to be aggressive about getting better. So, um, you know, I, I don't think that it ever stops for the Giants. And, and the other thing that, that, that I think all fans are, are pretty cognizant of is that, you know, when, even after signing Carlos Rodon, they're still $100 million below what the um, competitive balance or luxury tax threshold is. And we know they're not going to spend $230 million. They're not going to bump all the way up against uh, that threshold. But they're $100 million under, and they're not the Pittsburgh Pirates. So they should spend more money. And it's just a matter of, of, of where they could spend that money. Now, I, I did have my fever dream was Carlos Correa. And <laughs> hey, how good would it be to play him at third base for two years, uh, have the reigning AL and NL gold glove winning shortstops on the same left side of the infield, which is zany. Maybe even talk him into the Chris Bryant flex role where he plays some outfield. Who knows? But floating it past some people who know Carlos Correa, he wants to be a shortstop. And yeah. someone's going to pay him a lot of money to be a shortstop. That market will be there. So I don't think that's going to be an option. But, you know, if you're the Giants, I think you you sort of, you know, you put up a, a, a conch shell to your ear and you listen and, and you see what you hear. And uh, and I think they should be in on pretty much all the free agents that are there left that could make an impact offensively because, you know, they, they got the money to spend and they should spend it, frankly. So if this front office disappears, uh, kind of like the, the leftovers just poof, uh, no one's quite sure what happens to them. And you are hired as GM, uh, president of baseball operations. Congratulations. What do you do? Like, what is the move that you make that uh, kind of uh, ties a bow around this this roster? Well, I mean, I, I don't think there's any secret that I think Seiya Suzuki's really good. I think, I, I mean, yeah. I, I didn't see him play hundreds of games in Japan. I, I only saw him play the Premier 12 tournament in 2019 when I was at Tokyo Dome. But he was the best player there. I mean, he's he his game should translate a lot of the skills like the the zone awareness, the plate discipline that should translate. Some of the power maybe might not. Uh, the guy just he's fashioned himself into being the Mike Trout of Japan. He does everything well, and uh, and also seems like a delightful human being. So. Um, <laughs> You know, and, and it's kind of cool that he gets to call his shot. It's not that, you know, oh, let's open the sealed envelope and see who posted the highest posting yes. fee on a blind bid. And, oh, yep, you're going to Texas, you Darvish. You know, it's it's <laughs> cool that he gets to pick where he wants to go. And, you know, having talked to his agent, Joel Wolf, um, you know, I think they are at the stage where they probably are down to, to maybe three or four teams. But then I guess others have gotten in it late uh, as well. Um, and I think they all recognize that, you know, this is a chance to be a real bargain of a contract, um, potentially, because he's probably going to get a lot less than Chris Bryant. And frankly, I think you'd rather have a 27-year-old Seiya Suzuki than, than Chris Bryant. So that, that would be the guy I would sign, but it's not completely up to the GM. I, obviously, it, it's going to be culture. It's going to be fit. It's going to be the impression that, that uh, teams make on this guy and, and – uh, and where he and his wife want to go and start their big league dream together. So um, I, I'm fascinated. I can't wait to see uh, how this plays out. Yeah, it, it appears.
appears as if we are in perfect alignment here because that would be the one guy I would target. But again, it's not as simple as going to the Seiya Suzuki store and uh, placing an order for one Seiya Suzuki. It's, you know, where he wants to be. I just, I love the fact that he is uh, in his prime, in his mid-20s. He's younger than Lamont Wade Jr. He's just like a year older than Tyro Estrada. Like this is, he's not a prospect, but he is, you know, not that far removed from being prospect age. And when you have the oldest lineup in the National League and perhaps uh, all of baseball, I can't remember, I think that that is, you know, you start there, you have someone who fits for the present and the future, and then you start thinking, well, if if this guy hits, and if this guy hits as well as we are expecting, man, this this fan base is going to go just absolutely goofy for him uh, because he, he does have a personality. He is just like a just a fun guy you know he's a fun follow on instagram just uh he's on the sillier side in the best possible way and just everything the age the talent the fit the position i just i am smitten and i don't think it's going to happen but i just want to dream for a little bit it's, it's like that remember that off season where there's a maybe a two-week overlap between stanton and shohei otani and you're thinking this isn't going to happen but what if the Giants get both Giancarlo Stanton and Shohei Otani? And this kind of feels like a, a much lesser version of that. Yeah, I, I think that's it is kind of a funny juxtaposition between, you know, really kind of wanting to fall in love with a player and being totally giddy. And then also realizing just the, the raw odds that, you know, there's there's a dozen teams that are going to fall all over themselves for him. And, you know, even if the Giants make a great impression, I mean, their, their base level odds are one in 12 then, you know, I mean, it's 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 less likely to happen than it's more likely that it won't happen than, than it will. So you don't want to get your hopes up. And yet talking to a lot of Giants fans and hearing them on social media, it's it's I mean, they're smitten, too. So, um, yeah, it's uh, uh, it is kind of funny to, to see like people replying to his posts and, you know, come to San Francisco, come come to, <laughs> you know, come to the Tampa Bay. I've even seen some of those, you know, so um yeah, it's uh, and 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 I think it'll be really cool when he explains just what his factors were and, and what's important to him. And and you know, I think he wants to put up numbers. So I I wonder if a place like Fenway would be a little more alluring than a place like Oracle from from that perspective. Uh, so um, yeah, that that could be interesting too. All right, we will be back shortly. And you know, if there's breaking news, we will be back. I think pretty quickly to cover that breaking news. So say a Suzuki, uh, come on down and, and you'll get a fresh podcast. Yeah, there you go. I think we're gonna do one a week through spring training and then we'll, we'll ramp up to our regular uh, twice a week uh, once the season starts. So looking forward to it. All right. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time.